Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire series of Harry Bosch, so please proceed with extreme caution. Narcotic officer Kyle Moore's orders were to look into the city's latest drug killings. Instead, he ends up in a motel room with a fatal bullet wound in the head and a suicide note stuffed into his pocket. Working the case, LAPD detective Harry Bosch is reminded of the primal police rule he learned long ago. Don't look for the facts, but look for the glue that holds them together. Soon, Harry's making some very dangerous connections, starting with a dead cop and leading to a bloody string of murders that wind up from Hollywood Boulevard to the back alleys of the southern border. Now, this battle-scarred veteran will find himself in the center of a complex and deadly game, one in which he may be the next and likeliest victim. There you go, Irving said. Now I can tell Detective Sheehan that you concur, just as if you had gotten the first call out. No reason for anyone to feel left out. That's not the point, Chief. What is the point, Detective? That you can't go along to get along? That you don't accept the command decisions of this department? I'm losing my patience with you, Detective. Something I hope would never happen to me again. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. I am Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Now that all that's out of the way, it's time to get back to work and probe into the black ice. During this episode, we will be taking a deep dive into chapters one through four. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It is my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens, so proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. Let's open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so that we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Harry is listening to the police band radio because he's a detective on call for Christmas night. When he comes across a radio discussing a murder in his jurisdiction, Harry calls the station and finds out what it's all about and why he wasn't called. The lieutenant tells them that they suspect the body is that of Calexico Moore, a cop who has been missing for a week. A decision was made in the field to call Robert Homicide Division because of the nature of the investigation. Harry becomes curious and goes to the scene anyway. Upon arrival to the crime scene, Harry finds the typical suicide setting except for the absence of a suicide note. Harry speaks to promoted assistant chief Irving and is immediately questioned as to why he is there. Assistant Chief Irving tells Bosch that RHD has the case and he's not on it. 
While Bosch and Irving are talking, the suicide note is found, which says, I found out who I was. Upon second thought, Assistant Chief Irving gives Harry the unpleasant task of informing Moore's estranged wife of the current investigative status. While performing the next akin notice, Harry's drawn to Sylvia Moore, seeing in her the quiet strength that he admires. While speaking to her, Harry learns that Moore was under investigation by IED detectives and that IED had found a letter they believed Sylvia had wrote. Sylvia denies writing this letter. After comforting Sylvia and back at his home, Bosch contemplates Moore's note and his secret desire to find out the answer to, I found out who I was. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape, examine the clues. For the defining theme for chapters one through four is confrontation. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. Again, I'm Phil Parker. And thanks so much for staying along with this journey with me. So we start this chapter in a familiar setting for me as being on call. But what I love about what Michael did here, and again, any cop could tell you this, you developed this ear and you developed this ear for the radio channel. And we have Harry listen to music, uh, about to get, eat his uh, Christmas dinner. And uh, his, his Christmas dinner is, is quite pathetic, to be honest with you. But I can tell you, any good uh, officer slash investigator, ha- you have to develop this ear where you could basically, the radio could be blaring, your police radio could be blaring, and you can tune it out, except for certain tones or certain calls, or certain your call sign. And, you know, I can give you a story. When I first came on the department, my training officer, and again, uh, just to uh, play off the last episode with uh, Jackie, where she gave an example of uh, her training officer. One of my training officers, this guy could be sleep. He would, you know, we would be driving around or park somewhere, excuse me. This guy would be, we could be parked somewhere. He would be sleep in the car. And I'm over there just fuming, just fuming because I'm a rookie. I'm, I'm like excited. I'm, you know, pissing vinegar. Well, you would think, I thought the guy was sleep, but then they would call your scout car. And he would just come out of this sleep automatically and just grab the radio and then answer the call. And I was like, oh, my God, how did because he was snoring. I mean, you, you know, we pulled, we pulled over somewhere. He's parked and he's snoring. And all of a sudden they call the scout car radio and he picks up the damn radio and answers the call. And I was just in awe of that. But uh, subsequently, I developed that ear. And here in this particular chapter, starting out. We have Michael doing a phenomenal job of expressing shows again how how true cop work is, and he actually shows you how an officer could be doing multiple things at one time, but certain things he picks up really quick off that radio and gets his attention immediately. We start off this book again with people ter- telling Harry not to worry, take it easy, it's Christmas, and. I, you know, again, I, 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 this is trap. This is Michael, uh, Michael's trap. So let's remember 
Harry has picked up on the radio that there is a call out for a body. He's on call. He wants to know why he wasn't called for, you know, to on the scene. And one thing Harry is doing here, and I hope I want you guys to understand. Again, uh, my one of my old detective sergeants told me one of these things is you have to fight for your cases or no one else will. And you can't be intimidated by the brass. And if you could do that, you would become a good investigator. And so I know it might seem petty and I hope that because I didn't see it as being petty. So I'm just hoping you guys understand Harry has to fight. If you're on call, you follow protocol. Give me the uh, give me the chance to determine the scene and let me let the investigation lead the way I supposed to based on policies and procedures. And we have here Harry pushing back on the brass. And again, everyone says, don't worry about it's Christmas or at least the lieutenant does. Bosch actually talks about how he first met Moore. He, he, expressed, he expressed that Moore talked to him a little bit, but, you know, he had, remember, Bosch had just got bounced out of RHD, and now he's back, and he's down at Hollywood Division, as he called it, the sewer the, 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 um, division of the department. And he makes a, again, uh, Michael does a great job of capturing if you are re- the first thing that walks through your door, one of the things my father taught me um, as a as an officer is the first thing that walks through your door is your name and your rep. Nothing, you know. Uh, and so what that happens is, of course, you know, cops are the biggest gossip. You know, we, we gossip and talk so much and so you know so fast things that come down. But one of the things, the first thing that comes through the door is your reputation. So Bosch has just been bounced out of RHD, and now he's at Hollywood division. And so he, he comes into Hollywood division and meets more under that circumstances where more just pretty much gave him a nod back and forth. Well, we get into how Bosch and more meet and Bosch had this particular homicide where a particular drug dealer or suspected drug dealer was strangled. And I like this book and it brings me more and more to what I did for 20 plus years on the department which was in narcotic enforcement. And so let me uh, back up and give you some background on me so you can see where I'm coming from and why, again, I love this particular book because it went right down the alley of what I, was, what I did for so many years. I first came out of the academy in 1989. And from then, I then went in patrol and got certified and you, I could ride by myself. But at that time, 89 in the city, the crack epidemic had hit like a, a bomb and that was driving up all other crimes, homicides, um, assaults, thefts, you name it. The, it, it. It was a direct correlation between the crack epidemic and the other crimes that was happening in the city. So I got exposed to narcotics right off the bat out of, because uh, the, the, the jurisdiction in which I was sent to out of the academy, it, it, was, uh, it, it was literally like a Jekyll and Hyde particular district. You can go one block over and be just this paradise of a place where older folks have, you know, established citizens have been there forever and a day. But then you just go two blocks over and they were being preyed upon from these particular project homes and these government sister homes and a lot of particular crack uh, dealers and crack addicts. And so, you know, I had this dichotomy that's, you know, you know, this night and day 
within a span of a, a block or two. And so that was my exposure when it came when I came out to the academy. So for me, it was a natural progression. If you want to fight crime, you got to get to the root of the crime. And the root of the crime was the actual distribution of narcotics. So after now in our district, and well, in our police, in our police um, department, before you become what we call certified, before you can ride with other ride by yourself, you certified to ride by yourself. They had this program where you had to go through every facet of the district. And what I mean by every facet of the district is, well, the, our, our particular district, you had, of course, you had patrol. That's the main thing. And then you had vice. Then you had um, a prostitution. And then you had uh, a robbery and a, um, all these different units in the district, the little small district. Again, they, they were the small, they were the smaller um, units to help combat the particular crimes in that district. Well, on my last rotation was vice and I did a good job. And after I went, um, after I got certified, the vice sergeant came to me, I guess the equivalent to more here, uh, came to me and said, Hey, look, you did such a great job. Do you want to come over and work with us? And I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I do. And that started my investigative career. So then after a number of years being in that particular um, unit, there was an opening in major narcotics um, or Moore's division is what pe- some people call it. It's all different names, but it's pretty much the same thing. It's the citywide uh, narcotic in, uh, enforcement. And I got, uh, I went and interviewed and I got that position and I was there since 92. So from 92 until I retired in uh, 2018, as that's what I did. So this, this book brought home a lot of those things because that's what I did for so many years. And, and again, as you heard from Jackie, we did so many different narcotic type investigations that it was second nature to me. And so we get back to the bang unit. And just again, Michael did such a great job expressing what this type of unit does. And I call it, instead of, you know, a numbers crunching unit, I, I always called it feed the beast. And th- th- you had to feed the beast. And the beast was the machine was management. Uh, we were a. Uh, what have you done for me lately type of unit? And, you know, you can't sit back on the successes you had last week. You got to keep on going because crime is always, always being committed. So you had to feed the beast and feed the beast was a number squad. You know, you out there, you know, and, and it's not just that cold. Being in narcotics and having units like that, you get to know the eyes and ears. You get to know everything that's going on the street. You get to know who the players are. You get to know who's beefing with who. You get to know what type of drug that's being out there, the new names of the drugs that's out there. And then that's able to then help you put all that information together to help you on other investigative efforts. So if there is there, there, there are real reasons why you need to feed the beast. I mean, it's not just as cold as that playing the numbers game. I mean, it is. But if you use it correctly and get some great intelligence from it, then that can help you develop other investigative leads. So then we have our boy, Harry. Uh, he goes to the crime scene and the crime scene. One of the things that you have to do what I did, the exact same thing what Harry did here. You have to act like you belong there. If you act like you belong there, then not too many people are going to question why you are there. And again, this is one of the reasons that I love Michael, because he got some great inside scoops when it comes to being a cop. Because I can tell you how many I can't tell you how many times. 
I was places I had no business being being because I had no it, it wasn't my scene. And but I was being nosy. And I, he rolled up this scene and, and again you see the the patrol officer on the spot and you know you give him the nod and you know he knows you because you've been around and you're an investigator. He knows you, you know, you had your badge clipped to your, you know, and you, around your neck around your waist or whatever, and you give him the nod and you walk on through. <laughs> So, uh, Michael did a great job uh, describing uh, Bosch showing up to the scene to a place that he should not have been. And, you know, again, you know, uh, Michael gets into Harry expresses the smell of death and there's no there's like no other. And 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 I still can smell that death. You know, if you go into a house that someone has died, you can smell it and you know it immediately. That and uh, I would say the cell block, you know, you can. Those two are smells, at least for me, that I would never, ever, ever forget. And then, you know, we have Harry doing a quick assessment of the scene. And again, in, on our department, that was one of the that was a, a major test that you had to pass to become a cop. They gave you this this scenario and you had to quickly memorize it. And then they tested you on your memory, your memory recall. And we see Harry's ability to recall a scene so fast because he has to take it in because he knows it's just a matter of time before somebody, you know, calls him like, what the hell are you doing, Harry? You know, you already know RHD has the case. I'm pretty sure you've been told that. So what are you doing here? And, you know, you know, keeping up with the junkyard dog uh, scene or person, we got now newly promoted uh, Chief Irving, uh, who's not wearing a mask. And of course he wouldn't wear a mask. But remember, this is the same guy who, when he was talking to a congressperson or a council member, I think it was, and broke a molar and decide to swallow it opposed to uh, showing some type of weakness and, you know, excusing himself. So did you, did you, would anyone expect that Irving would, uh, that Irving would wear a mask? I, I think not, you know, because wearing a mask again, especially with that jaw, that will probably be a sign of weakness. And so now uh, I, again, I like how Michael, Again, in my opinion, has elevated Bosch's nemesis because you see Bosch and Irving from the last book. They are the yin and yang. They fight all the time. They're going to fight all the time. So now we have Irving, not just he got elevated to assistant chief, not just a, a chief of ID, but now he's assistant chief. And he's not just an assistant chief. Look at the units that he has amassed. He has ID, narcotic intelligence and all detective services. My goodness. I mean, if I think in this book. At this particular point, there's only three assistant chiefs. So I'm, pres- I'm pretty assuming, oh, excuse me, I'm, I'm assuming what you shouldn't do, but I'm assuming that the other chief is probably in charge of all patrol. And then you have another chief that's probably in charge of like procurement and, and personnel or facilities or something like that. But out of the three chiefs, you got to see now, Bosch's uh, nemesis has amassed a big, big, very powerful portion of this particular department so right off the bat michael sets the scene about what harry's going to be up against if he decides to go against the uh, brass and you know and it doesn't get old for me but i just the reason i'm starting this podcast so i can help give you some insight to the, the police world and right here irving pretty much puts bosch on notice because he is actually right irving's right because, you know, remember Bosch right here is kind of like pushing back and forth with Irving about is his it was his call to do this. And Bosch is like, it's my call to do this it was my call to do that. 
And Irving comes back over top of him and said, well, really, is my case to take away. And, you know, I actually, there's a fine line here. There's a fine line when it comes down to you, you as an investigator take ownership of your investigation. But at the end of the day, you have to do realize that what you do, the powers you have, and the way you do it is controlled by the, the, by the department. Again, I was trained, my training um, detective told me, investigate your cases, document your cases in a manner which that anyone should be able to pick it up today and take, it, take off with it and follow your leads. Because it's kind of selfish of you not to put as much information in the cases that you possibly can so that if something happens to you that someone else can't pick it up and take it and, and solve it. Uh, Irving asked Bosch to summarize the scene. He just got there. He walked through it really fast and he gives a pretty good uh, breakdown of, of the case, excuse me, of the scene and using his investigative skills, what he sees, what he was lacking and already at this particular junction has a direction of what to investigate, and how to investigate it. Once again, Michael gives us inside of uh, Irving's point of view when it comes to his power and how he utilizes it. Because as we see, Irving has already got Moore's fingerprints to try to do the, the comparisons to see if the body is in there is uh, Sergeant Moore. And he also um, kind uh, alludes to the acting medical examiner wants to get the job um, full time. So she's going to play along again. This is out of protocol. I do understand why a sense that Irving wants to be out of protocol, but Usually when you're out of protocol, shit happens. And that's protocols are there for a reason. Protocols help us stay focused and help us follow the investigative leads a certain way. And the mere fact that Irving is actually investigating the case himself or putting things in play himself is a dangerous thing to do. It's been in my experience that most chiefs didn't even want to come. They, they probably even this probably just came to the yellow tape just on the inside of the yellow tape. But not too many chiefs want to actually go into the crime scene and or if they do go into it, they keep their hands in the pocket and they let the investigators do their job. Because if something goes wrong and the chief is there, then the chief owns that particular uh, whatever went wrong. So most chiefs are very experienced enough to know, yeah, I'm not going to step my, hand, my, my toe into, into that water. I'll go around, look like I'm, you know, looked apart, but I'm going to leave the investigations up to the investigators. And so then. We have this particular scene where the note is found and Bosch is kind of, uh, dis well, not kind of, Bosch is dismissed to leave the scene and we have IDs, Chastain smirking at Bosch. And, you know, we've already gotten Chastain has a, um, a reputation in the department to call him Sustain Chastain. And so he's evidently, he has skills of being a, ID uh, detective and but he smirks at Bosch because you know Bosch has probably got his picture up as you know public enemy number one when it comes to ID investigation so he, he probably has his picture plastered in the ID wall somewhere because I'm you know it, it, it has not it probably was not lost on Chastain and other um, ID detectives what went down with Lewis and Clark in the last book in the Black Echo so they know that they know who Harry is and how he has the this infinity to to slip or wiggle out of their grasp. And so, upon leaving, Irving, you know, stops Bosch and gives him "quote unquote" the next of kin noticing. 
Now I've I was I've probably done that twice. I've never was the one who actually did the actual talking to the uh, decedent's uh, significant other or next of kin. I was there when it happens, and I can tell you it's not a good feeling. And I actually think that Michael does a great job when it comes to this 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 interaction between the two because I actually think Irving gave Bosch the next of kin notice as a way of punishing Bosch. And to, again, doing a major flex on Bosch. Say, look, dude, remember, I now, not just was I the chief ID, I'm the assistant chief of all these other bureaus. So I'm, I'm tired of you pushing back on me. I'm tired of you making me frustrated. So here's a little punishment for you. And, you know, I like, you know, in route to, to perform the uh, next to Ken notice, Bosch describes his meeting with Moore. And Michael's description of Moore as a narcotic investigator is spot on. You know, it's a big joke, along, especially with those narcotic guys. We see these TV shows with the narcotic people wear these tight G's and, and the, the, the gun and badge out shiny and all that kind of stuff. All narcotic people want to, be blend, want to blend in. So you don't want people to know you have a weapon. You don't want to stand out at all. So his description of more is spot on in, this, in, in a sense because you want to blend into the citizens. So I'd like to take a quick break and ask you, my listeners, if you can do me a favor and visit the two particular, well, visit my website and I have direct links to two, two particular causes that are near and dear to me. One is the law enforcement memorial. Even if you just go there and see if you, is there a way that you could um, donate and or go visit the law enforcement memorial in Washington, D.C. in some um, manner or some way. I think that they do a great job. If you never went to the law enforcement or never been to the law enforcement memorial, uh, you do yourself a disservice. I think you should go there. And secondly, the Children's Defense Fund. Again, that's just the two causes that I put up on my website that if you can support and or help in any manner, any way, just go there to the website and see if you can help either one of those two particular causes. So again, the law enforcement memorial and the Children's Defense Fund. Thank you, and back to Hitting the Streets. So Michael does a great job, again, um, already, again, uh, character development. We have Sylvia Moore, and she calls Bosch out concerning the dirty work. And, you know, she explained to Bosch that her husband Moore told her what police do and we we all do that you know there's certain things about law enforcement that I told my wife that she knows to what to expect what to do what's real what isn't real if this scenario happens do this and the whole nine yards and again I I I've never did the actual noticing but the mere fact that which Sylvia says yeah a cow or you know uh cow more lexical more told her about the dirty work and how cops like to wait until the media has already been at the house or something like that. That was a very, that's really good right there. It's really good 
uh, insight to how law enforcement really is. You know, and Michael does a great job describing, you know, the story, Sylvia and uh, Calexico's story. Again, from the book, what else could he do? Sometimes his job took him too far into people's lives, and all he could do was stand there and nod. It's, again, I think the last, last podcast I talked about it, you know, you want to hear people's story. And if they want to tell it, let them, let them tell it. Let them tell it the way that they want to tell it. And so we see how uh, Sylvia is getting off her chest because she probably just wanted to get off her chest her and Calexico's story. I honestly believe that for his rough exterior, we have a poet at heart with Harry because, you know, we see this instant attraction to Sylvia again from the book. She was captivating in a way that went beyond her physical beauty. She was attractive. Yes. But the hurt in her face, the tears, and yet the strength in her eyes tugged at him. You know, a boy, I think Harry is, is a, is a poet at heart. And I understand, I understand that attraction to strong women, you know, who, who has a strength that that's, that's just right below the surface that if you don't look, you would miss it. And so we have Sylvia telling Bosch about the meeting between her and Chastain and how she, even though uh, her and Calexico were on the outs and they separated, she actually warned Calexico about the, uh, her ID uh, encounter. And sometimes ID. So, okay. Again, I'm just giving you my I'm just giving you my my world. I, when I went to my investigator school, ID investigators were right there next to me. And so we learned the exact same techniques and the exact same things to do. And one of the techniques is to turn significant others against the perspective uh, law enforcement um, officer who you are investigating. And that is a classic move right there. What Chastain tried to do with Sylvia. One, Sylvia and, and Clexico are on the outs. So Chastain goes to her house under this pretense of this quote unquote letter that, that was written about something that Clexico was alleged to do. And if you were vindictive, uh, the significant other right there goes, oh, oh, yes, he did it. Or could you just spill the guts because, you know, you talk, build, pillow talk and the whole nine yards. But a mark of a good wife and reason I'm immediately like Sylvia is she pushes back on Calexico. Excuse me. She pushes back on um, on uh, Chastain and tells Chastain, no, pretty much to get the fuck out of here. And th- but then she runs back and tells Calexico everything that ha- uh, happened with um, Chastain. And once again, we have our boy uh, Michael setting us up. You know, I, I, when I read this book again, so we have Michael introducing The Long Goodbye, the book The Long Goodbye. And I encourage everyone to read the book or bare minimum look at the movie because, again, I'm no spoilers here. But Michael is setting us up. You know, remember, as I told you, it's like a, a, a snake winding around us really slowly. And one of the things, passages from the book, there's no trap so deadly as trap you set for yourself. Whenever I think of that, I'm thinking of my husband and me. And I, that is a very deep passage because, you know, think about it. Most, most, most people, hell comes from, our own, come from within, our guilt, our pleasures. You know, it, it comes from within and all our anxieties. 
and that's the trap, you know, that's the hell that we, as, as humans, we all live in, we all live with, excuse me. And, you know, we see the, again, the sensitive side of Bosch. He actually, Sylvia is upset. You know, she's really thinking about Cal, even though they separated and he's there to comfort her. And to me, in a very platonic manner, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times you go to a scene and you know, people are upset and you just they want someone, some physical contact, someone to comfort them. And it's, just strictly, it's strictly platonic. And, you know, as a good investigator, you know, it's, it's hard to do, but sometimes, you know, you just, you know, you want to be there for people in their pain. As a good cop, you want to be there to help. And if, it, if the form takes on that you got to hold their hand or give them a, a shoulder to cry on, then I, I, I really don't. I mean, let me take that back. It's not a, being a good cop. It's just being a good human that, you know, you want to be there to help people through uh, whatever pain they're dealing with. And so now the, at the end of this chapter, we have Harry, you know, thinking about the note that Moore left, you know, the note of, I found out who I was. And then Bar- and Harry says, and, 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 and it killed him. And I know I thought about it, and I'm pretty sure anyone's listening to my voice right now has thought about that. And that is such a poetic way of describing people's, you know, their fears, their, their, their joys, their ambitions. Just that line, I find out who I was. From the book, Calexico Moore had apparently answered a question that all people carry deep within themselves. That Harry Bosch, too, had longed to answer. I found out who I was. And that had killed him. It was a thought that pushed a fist into Bosch's guts, into the most secret folds of his heart. So my everyone counts or no one counts person in this particular chapter, which is chapter one through four, is Sylvia Moore. I hope if if, if, just do me a favor, listeners, do me a favor. After you listen to this and you pick Sylvia Moore before I announce this, just send me a little note to say, yeah, Phil, we we know you. I want to see am I so predictable, but my girl Sylvia Moore and I already expressed to why uh, I if I didn't, well, I like Sylvia because of what she represents. And I've been married for 27 years now. And the mere fact, I think if an ID person like Chastain had came to my house, no matter what the circumstances is between my wife and I, and try to pull that bullshit stunt, I, I, I'm, I'm guaranteed, I'm 1,000% sure that my wife would do the exact same thing. And that's a mark of a good cop's wife. That no matter how bad things are between her and her and her husband, 
that she's not going to do what ID wants. That's the ultimate betrayal. So my everyone counts or no one counts person is Sylvia Moore. Well, friends, that concludes this episode of chapters one through four. And please join me next time where we will continue the deep dive of the Black Ice chapters five through eight. And if you can be so kind and continue your subscriptions on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and continue to like us with five stars or better is very, very appreciative. And as always, thank you so much for allowing me into your lives. I'll catch you on the next one. Bye.